Welcome to Foothills Youth Podcast, where we help people follow Jesus. I hope these resources are a blessing to you. We are a student ministry based out of Northwest Calgary, and our hope, our desire, is that we see students become resilient disciples in a post-Christian nation. So may this podcast just be a blessing to you in your journey. So before uh, we jump into what we're talking about tonight, I wanted to just have like quick real talk because I found growing up, um, we never talked about things that were happening in the world and I really wish we had. So I just want to have a quick conversation about something that came out in the news this week. Um, who here has ever watched or seen or been to John Christ's shows or YouTube videos? Yeah? So two of you. Cool. This is relevant. <laughs> um, so for those of you who don't know, uh, he's a relatively popular Christian comedian uh, who has got, I think he's got a million followers on Instagram, another 300,000 on Twitter, and then I think like 500,000 on YouTube or something like that. His stuff is like brilliantly funny. He's a pastor's kid, so I get a lot of his humor. It's it's sweet. And I, uh, I'm off social media right now, which is a whole nother thing, but it's great. Um, but I was on reading another completely unrelated article, and I saw this one pop up on my... Uh, on the bottom of my screen, and it said, uh, it said something like, "John Christ uh, apologizes amidst sexual scandal," and I just was like, everything in my heart just like dropped because I read enough articles about pastors and church leaders and Christian leaders and Christian influencers uh, about they fall, they mess up, they screw up like big time, and so as I'm reading this, I just wanted to kind of talk about this here a little bit quickly tonight. So maybe a question to get you thinking is, what do you think when you hear or see of an influential Christian make a culturally inappropriate mistake? Now when I say culturally inappropriate, I mean the stuff that nobody thinks is okay. Because there's stuff that we as Christians say that are okay, but like for everybody else they'd say, no, that's actually fine. But I'm talking about the stuff that baseline, everybody's like, yeah, no, that's not cool. And, and to kind of give you a little bit of like what was happening, and I don't want to go into too much of like rumors or what's true, what's not true. They had a number of, uh, I think it was like six women who came forward to this Christian, um, Christian news uh, company, whatever you want to call it, uh, anonymously, and share stories of how he would use, uh, basically trade his tickets for sexual favors or sex or something to that effect. And, uh, and so when I hear of this, I always think, oh, right. Even those people that I look up to and, and you know, maybe we idolize, like they're, they're broken too. So if anybody has thoughts, <laughs> feel free. I hope this is a safe place where we can talk about this. What, what do you think when you hear about a Christian influencer who has a moral failure? Here's something you guys can talk about later. Here's my thoughts on it. John issued an apology once these things came to light. And I actually, oh, I printed it off, but I didn't bring it up. That's okay. Um, and he basically said there have, he acknowledged the accusations. He said that he wasn't proud of, he was apologetic of the stuff he had did, what he had done. He didn't address any of the specific allegations, like some of the stuff like might be rumors. But he comes out and he says, I'm sorry, I know, this was like his last line. He said, 
I know it's going to take a lot of people to ever forgive me, if they ever can. But I, I'm sorry, it's in the light, now you know. And he said that some of his team people had, like some of his close friends and family had known about some of his struggles and all that. And now he says that now that we know. Here's, here's my thought, personally. John screwed up. He made a mistake, m multiple mistakes, right? Like he did something he shouldn't have done. I always think of the woman at the, uh, uh, the woman caught in adultery in John 8, I think it is. And Jesus comes to her and says, like, if those of you who haven't, th who have, those of you who haven't sinned, you can cast the first stone, you can make the first accusation. Here's what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is that what he did is okay. And what I'm not saying is that there shouldn't be, there should be, th no, what I am saying is that there should be consequences to people's decisions. That's the reality of our, our world and, and just life in general. What I'm saying though is i think he didn't handle this as well as he could if he was worried about this getting out and you're in a place of influence and you're like in leadership influence of any kind and you're struggling with something my personal opinion is get it out get it out in the light because then if you live with no secrets the enemy can't hold anything against you and i think there's i don't i think we're quicker to forgive those people who come out without being caught in their own mess right that's my story like, I, I know, I was most often, all the sin in my life, I was caught in it. And, but I also think that there's reconciliation. I also know I believe in the God who forgives, that no matter that John made a mistake, but God still loves him. God loves you even in your mess and your mistakes. But the question is, how does the church respond to church leaders, to Christian leaders, when they make a moral failure like this? Anyways, food for thought. Okay, um, we're talking about Hinduism tonight. And I posted on the Insta story, what does football and Hinduism have to do together? Uh, so here's a quick story. So I played football in high school. I was like mediocre at it at best. Like I was, I started my last year, but that was most because like all of the seniors, the grade 12s, they basically had to start because if they'd been playing since grade 10, it kind of felt bad if you made it all three years and then weren't starting. And, uh, and we, we, we were having a pretty good season. We played one of our rivals in Red Deer. Uh, it's a small city, town, rivalry. And um, we knew that any game that we played, if we didn't have practice on Monday, that meant we had a pretty decent game. If we had practice on Monday, that means something went wrong and something was going to happen. We played this game, and right after the game, coach is like, there's going to be practice on Monday. And we're like, oh, no. Like, we had gotten so many penalties. I think we had like 200, for those of you who know football, I think we had like 200 yards of penalties. That's like, we got pushed back like, yeah, it was, it was bad. Like, it was so bad. And so we knew, like, duh, it was just like, we knew Monday was coming. Monday was there. We suit up. Usually it's either walkthrough or film on Mondays, but we were full suit. We had our practice. We did our drills, all of that. And at the very end, we're like, okay, you know, maybe that was it. Maybe we're just, you know, just doing the drills, that sort of thing. And they're like, all right, everybody line up on the, on the, uh, the goal, on the yard line, or the, the end zone line. We're like, oh boy, we're running today. And there's like, we had a 60, 60 yard playing field or so. And like, basically what he had us do is he said, separated, our coach separated us into two groups. The first group would run back and forth. So 120 yards back and forth, while the other group sat and watched. And depending on how the first group ran, the other group, like, we would keep going until they thought that every group had run as hard and as fast as they thought they could have. Which meant, like, we didn't know when we were done. 
We just thought that this is punishment and we have to run to make up all the yards that we had had in penalties. And literally, I think we were there for, I don't know, 45 minutes. And the worst part was, is you knew that you, I like, not, I ran hard and I would see some of the rest of the group maybe like pacing themselves. And as soon as we get back, they're like, no, go again. Like it just was, it was brutal. And then it was over. It was just done. We'd run all the ha all we can. People were thrown up, but it was done. It was finally over. We had run. We'd made it up. We were good. We could move on. Look forward to the next game. Here's what this has to do with Hinduism. With the hint with Hinduism, the goal, the meaning of life means ultimate unification with with their god called Brahman. And forgive me if I butcher some of these names. They're really hard to pronounce some of them. Which is their god or the ultimate deity of Hinduism. Ultimate union. How does that happen though? You live well, because if you don't live well, there's this thing called karma. And whatever you don't do well, or whatever you may like fall short on in this life, will mean you either have to live another life. Like, and there's, in their beliefs, like you could live millions and millions of lives until you finally get it right and get back to this unification thing. Like over and over and over again. If you don't do it, if you don't run as hard as you can the first time, guess what? You're running again. And so in their goals, you're, you're basically trying to escape what they call the wheel of samsara to, re to reach moksha, which the wheel is basically like, who here has ever been on a playground and you had an older sibling and they put you on that spin thing and they didn't let you off until you threw up? Yeah? Okay, a couple of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't see those at playgrounds anymore. Maybe that's why. Anyways, this wheel is like that thing that you just keep spinning on and living in until you get it right and you can get off and you're unified with the ultimate deity, the ultimate God. And moksha is basically what they call the liberation from suffering and union with the infinite. So from Hinduism has come religions such as Sikhism, Buddhism, and others. So now Hinduism itself is like, can be a multiple things. They believe in this thing called universalism, which means every path leads to God, that everybody is actually God, but an essence of God. And they're just trying to, it's like one God broke off into a bunch of little people and they're trying to get reunified. Does that make sense? Yeah, that one just came to me. That was really good. Um, in the world today, there are 690 million Hindus in 88 countries. That number is probably way up because the, the, the population in India alone, and I'm not saying everybody in, in India is Hindu, but mostly it's Hindu, Hindu and Muslims, and their population just continues to multiply. Um, 3000 BC, this place called Indus River, which is a place that Hinduism actually gets its name from. Um, there was a group there that flourished 2000 BC. Oh, not there yet. 2000 BC, the, uh, another group came and conquered that people of the India, India Valley, and those people began to write psalms and books and things that they considered to be their supernaturally inspired words in between 2000 and 700 BC, 100 BC. And according to Hinduism, the purpose and meaning of life is fourfold to achieve four things. You will not remember this, so don't worry, but Dharma, Artha, Kama, and Moksha. And so all of these have to do with getting back together with the big guy. Um, how, what they believe happened in creation is A, there was a deity. There's a couple of different stories that, that, are, that are floating around, but these are some of the main ones. Um, one, there was a god. He was bored. 
And so he made people. And basically the idea was he wanted something to love, to hang out, and the word was play with, but I don't know if that's like literally, like literally correct in that. I didn't find that in a book. Um, and the other was a notion of milk. Uh, the story is, uh, I need to read this one. So the creation account from Vishnu Purana, where there is this god named Vishnu, and we'll talk about who that is, lying on a notion of milk. I don't know why it's milk. Atop the serpent, Sesha, sprung a lotus from his navel, his belly button, that contained another god named Brahma. Having been sprung from Vishnu's navel, this is, I'm quoting, not making this up. Um, Brahma, and I don't want to mock, also, I know it's funny because it's a little bit off, but this is, this is legitimately what some people believe. Um, and so this Brahma creates all living beings, as well as the sun, moon, planets, etc., and a number of other gods and demigods. Following this person's creative, this god's creative acts, it's then said that Vishnu expanded himself to another word that I cannot pronounce, um, but it's also called Paramatta, or Matma, and entered into everything that exists in the material and, immis and, and immaterial spheres. And how this works is they, I'm going to break this up into four sections, just like the gospel story that I talked about two weeks ago, the fall, um, or creation, fall, redemption, restoration. I'm going to look at their creation, fall, re redemption, restoration story. So we looked at creation. The fall is that the soul is separate from Brahma. That's the goal. They're trying to get back there. But it is perfect. They believe that the soul is actually perfect. But if you don't live your life well enough, you've got to continue until you get it just right, and then you'll get back together. They say the Atman, the soul, is perfect, free, and unlimited, and no matter how many lives it takes, eventually each and every Atman will realize its divine nature. That is the goal, remember, to get back to unified with Brahma. That's that universal, universalism thing. All paths lead to God as long, no matter how long it takes to get there. Redemption is reincarnation, this is how they believe that you can get back unified, reincarnation, spinning wheel, and karma. Thousands of millions of lives, sometimes, all full of suffering. That's another thing that they believe, is that it, is, it takes suffering in order to realize your divine nature. And that it must suffer before reaching their paradise, liberation. Um, and karma, which is the retributive justice by whereby one actions and deeds result in release from a previous birth to a higher or lower birth in the cycle of reincarnation. Remember, you do well, you level up, you get a little bit closer. You don't do well in this life, you knock down, you're probably going to live a couple more. Um, and depending on how, what you did in that. So interesting part of this, social justice actually doesn't exist as much because they believe that intervening, so say Alicia's not doing so well in her life, she's, you're short on cash. I mean, who isn't, right? Um, and so she's on the street begging. If I'm Hindu and I come and give her money to help her out of her situation, I'm actually intervening in a bad way because now she hasn't gone through the suffering that she was meant to in order to get to that next life. So if you're in India, and I've never been to India, I've just talked to people who have and read stories of people who have, when somebody comes up and asks you for money, say for a cab driver you're driving, it's in, I read this in The Problem of God by Mark Clark. He was on vacation, um, driving through, this, through the streets, a lady came with her baby, asked for money, and the driver said, no, don't give that, don't give her any money, because if you do, you're intervening, and you're actually hurting her in the long run, because they believe that she's gonna be reincarnated, and if she, you intervene, 
it's going to just take her longer to get to where they think they're all going. Restoration, that ultimate goal. Um, there's three paths to get there, they believe. Works, and they have three words for each of these, but in English it's works, knowledge, and passionate devotion. You can take one of those three. Just one. You don't have to do all three. Just pick one. They all kind of have to do the same. But if you go down the works thing, you do and you try to live as best a life as you can, you try to get as much money as you can, all of these things, then you'll get closer. Or knowledge, you try and learn, know more about your divine angel, you'll get closer. So the difference, basically, between us and them. Oh, I accidentally um, did a few things. Um, <laughs> The difference is Hinduism, they believe that Brahman is non-personal, yet at the same time indistinct from humanity. They have this trinity idea, um, and that's Brahman, Vishnu, Siva, who are the creator, the preserver, and the destroyer. And these are manifestations of that one reality. They believe that, that we are all God, or part of God, and that we need to keep doing well to earn escape from the reincarnation wheel. And discovering your divine nature will ensure your unification. Now Vishnu, the first person, preserves what Brahman created. And he's worshipped in like ten incarnations. So he like has another ten, like what they call avatars. Uh, and they're all worshipped in different ways. And then Siva is uh, the most ambivalent of the Hindu deities. He's a god who shows mercy or on a moment's notice destroys. He's kind of like the janitor of it all. He either has to clean it up or break it down so it's better. Apparently, they even describe him as like, he's a little extreme. Like, this is from a Hindu source. Uh, so those three, Brahman, Vishnu, and Siva, those are the three. Here's our story. Creation, Genesis 1. In the beginning, the world was void. There was nothing in it. But yet, in the beginning, the Word was God. The Word was God. And the Word was with God. John 1. And I actually just want to walk you through. I'm going to read you a couple of these passages because I realized we need to be in the Word, and we're going to be transformed by the Holy Spirit working through it. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing that was created that has been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men and women. This is, remember, language. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. So we believe in a creation story that God, that everything comes from one God. That, um, that God is an imminence and transcendence. He's personal. He's not separate or non-personal. He cares and he's very much involved. That God created the earth within the confines of time. Now, I'm, you feel free to talk about literal days and all of that, but we're just going to go through the basics. The fall, Genesis 3. The, the, the lie that you can be more than God or that you can be more apart from God, from anything else that might draw you to be something apart from God equals greater or better. And that's the lie we all deal with. That's what I saw in my insta-feed all the time, that there was a vision, there was, a, there was an image of me that wasn't quite yet but could be better. And if I just followed my passions, my wants, my desires, that I would get there. So we fall, we were separate. Redemption, Romans 5, talks all about, talks all about what God did to redeem us. And so, therefore, 
Since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And it continues on where he talks about that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That he took the initiative. This thing called incarnation, that he came, became man, and revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. That he redeemed us from our sin. That there wasn't actually enough that we could do to fix the bridge that was broken between us and God. And that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. There is only one way. There isn't many ways to God. It's just through Jesus. It's just, there is one way, one truth, and one life, and his name is Jesus Christ. And this was a one-time event. He didn't have to die multiple times. He paid for everything with his one death on the cross, and he rose again three days later. We have forgiveness from sins in 1 John 1. And that Jesus came didn't come to preserve, but to recreate and restore creation to God, 2 Corinthians 5.18, and restoration. But there's sanctification. We, be, can, we look at more and more like him as we surrender ourselves. And there's eternal life when we die, that we only have one life to live. We got one shot. But because of what Jesus did, he made that eternal life accessible to everybody. So, how do we engage with, he, with these people? I know I've often said with most of the people as we end, be friends with them. That's a start. But I think there's some real inroads to conversation. The big one is, the relationship of God is made, through, is made known through his people. Our relationships, is, we can show who God is in the way we interact with people. Romans 10 talks about how beautiful are the feet who carry the good news. You are those feet that carry the good news in relationships. That Jesus brings freedom from suffering, even in this physical life. And that when Jesus came into our world, he did intervene and, and, and saw and healed people. Jesus is a God who intervenes in our story. And he brings freedom from suffering. And John 9, when he talks about the blind man who he healed, and the, his disciples asked, well, was he, is he blind because of what he did or what his parents did? And Jesus says, no. It was actually so that God would be glorified in his story. And there's this thing called a caste system within Hinduism. Five levels of it. And at the very bottom, there's something called untouchables. Now, anybody heard of Gandhi? Yeah? Yeah. Okay, Gandhi came in 1949, I think. He made this caste system, actually, he got rid of it through his, his movement and what he did in India. But it still exists. See, in, in, in Hindu culture, it's very difficult, especially in small villages. <laughs> in small churches, it changes hard. Same thing goes, there are still people who are considered unworthy to even be touched. And there are people in India, and I don't know what your calling is on your life. This is for you. But maybe Jesus is calling you to go and love people who are actually considered untouchable. Because actually, they are not untouchable. At one point, we were all untouchables. And Jesus reached out, and he touched us, and he saved us. 
It's love. It's the love of God that will literally change Hindus' hearts. It's the love of Jesus. Value and identity, that's huge. They are key pathways. Because God's not separate. God's not non-personal. He doesn't not care about us. He loves us so much so that he intervened in our stories and saved us from our sins. Your value now is that you are loved by God. You are loved by the Creator. You don't have to earn your way back to the Creator. There's a big difference. Value, identity, relationships, love, and that Jesus brings freedom from suffering. These are, these are the things you need to start praying for. For opportunities to show the love of Jesus. Not just to Hindus, but to all of us.